Welcome to the Exponential Podcast. My name is Peyton Jones, and as Exponential's content director, I'll be your guide through the curation of the world's largest multiplication library of resources and training. We currently have four shows running Monday through Thursday, each with a different thrust towards accelerating multiplication. On Monday, join us for front lines tackling current issues facing pastors and planners. On Tuesday, tune in for Biblically Speaking, Theological Foundations for Transformative Race Conversations. On Wednesdays, Ralph Moorhead's Practical Multiplication, A Pastor's Guide to Accelerating Multiplication. And lastly, Candid Conversations is on Thursday, Unpacking Definitions of Diversity. Be sure to catch them all as they will serve as equipping companions on your discipleship journey towards multiplication. Today, join me and Daniel Yang on Frontlines. The Frontline program seeks to encourage and equip pastors and planners to better understand and navigate the current and future trends in church ministry. Each episode invites thought leaders and advanced practitioners in ministry to inform and inspire pastors and planners as they continue what they do on the field. Well, hey, welcome to Frontlines on Monday here. Uh, My name is Daniel Yang. I am the director of the Sin Institute and the co-host of Frontlines, which is a weekly program focused on helping equip pastors and church planters to better understand and navigate the current trends of church planting, but also this crazy time that we're in in the pandemic. Uh, Co-host is the Peyton Jones, the famous, infamous Peyton Jones that we get to do this together, Peyton. Uh, And I'm really excited about our guest today. Before I introduce him, though, uh, you know, we each week we try to come up with a a, a starter question just to jump in and to, to really get things warmed up. And I want to, before we get to our guests, because our guests, I mean, I want to spend enough time with him and, and, and really allow people to pick his brain. But I want to ask you, Peyton, uh, before we, we talk to Bob, if you had to pick somebody in your life that was influential, but was not a believer, not a Christian, uh, that's really shaped the way that you think, shaped the way that you, um, you know, your personality, your life, who would that person be? Not a Christian. I'd I'd have, <clears throat> I'd have to say Charles Spurgeon. No, I'm just teasing. Come on, just wanted on. to throw a wild card out. Uh, not a Christian, you know that I know of. This is always a weird. I mean, who knows where he ended up? But but on the surface of it, I would say, and that this is. I mean, I'm a Muppet, so it's not going to be surprised. And I'm going to say Jim Henson for multiple reasons. A because you know some of the coolest toys when I was a kid were the ones that he did. And the story behind that is he did not want to monetize off kids. Mm -hmm. So he said, if we do make uh, any toys, they have to be the best toys on the market. And they were, if you remember those Burton Ernie toys, they were the best made, best built, but he was a hippie to the core and he never wanted to make money. He felt creepy and greasy about making money off anything he did. And, but somebody finally talked him into it and said, Hey man, if you want to do more projects, you're going to have to get around that. Yeah. And that, that influenced me, his integrity, but also his visionary. Um, he was an imagineer. Imagineers capture me. And, uh, so yeah, strangely, I would say Jim Henson and the fact That's that he blazed one. his own trail, he didn't have to be anybody else. Yeah. And he connects to a lot of different age groups because of his kind of work. Yeah. If I had to pick somebody, it would be Malcolm X. And I think for a myriad of reasons uh, that are probably obvious to, to a lot of people, but also just his ability to change like his perspective towards the end of his life. And he didn't know it was the end of his life. He thought it was probably the beginning of a new life, but 
Um, I think he's uh, instrumental in, in a lot of the ways that I, I think about like uh, race issues. And even though I don't agree with everything that he did or said, um, and again, even later in his life, he wouldn't have agreed with a lot of his early things. I think there's so much there. Uh, I thought this was a really good question to start off because I'm, I'm so honored this week to introduce our guest. Uh, he is uh, a friend, a spiritual mentor, and somebody who for the past 10 years has just been um, investing and present in my life. Uh, I want to welcome Dr. Bob Roberts who is the founder of GlocalNet, uh, who's also the founder of Global Ventures. He's also the founder, co-founder of Multi-Faith Neighbors Network. And he founded Northwood Church uh, right outside of um, Fort Worth, Texas, where he was the pastor for almost 30 years and just transitioned that uh, to uh, a younger pastor this past June. And Bob, I am so excited that you're on this uh, episode with uh, Peyton and I. I love you, man. Thanks for doing this with us. So before we jump into any other of our, our other questions, I picked this question for you because I know of some of the people that you get to hang out with. Who's been somebody who's influential in your life that's not a believer? I'd say two. The first one is dead, uh, kind of like what you guys referred to. Uh, Gandhi, I'm blown away by the fact he meditated on the Sermon on the Mount two to four hours a day. That's a fact. I know his grandson. He's told me all about it. And uh, he used basically the concept of the kingdom of God to overthrow the English government. That's pretty mm -hmm. doggone cool. Uh, so I'd say him. Living, it'd have to be Imam Majid Muhammad. You know Majid. Mm -hmm. Majid's a wild man, crazy guy. His grandfather was a king in Sudan. His father was the Grand Mufti. And I spend more time, time with Majid than anybody else on the face of the earth. We're in and out of everywhere from Pakistan to Emirates to we'll be in Sudan. We're all over the world this next year. And we do uh, multi-faith retreats together where pastors, imams don't get along. And he's just a nut. We have a lot of fun. Uh, he's loosened up a lot around me. And when we get around, <laughs> a lot of times he'll kick me and say, now, brother, you got to be more serious around these guys. Pops <laughs> don't act like this. But I, get, I love giving him coronaries. He gives me coronaries. But I just love him. He's fun. I mean, can you just like somebody because they're fun, not because they grew my mind like Gandhi? I mean, yeah, he grew my mind. Yeah. But we have a blast together. Recently, uh, he was explaining to me, okay, Daniel, this is cool. Did you know? Let me ask you a question. Did sure. Jesus eat pork? So, who eats pork, you said? Jesus. Did Jesus eat pork? Oh. Uh, my immediate answer is no. You're right. But have you ever even thought about that? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I never thought about it, but he asked, I said, wow. And he said, so, brother, do you want to be like Jesus? I said, yes. He said, eat pork. <laughs> I said, so what was the first miracle of Jesus? And he looked at me funny. I said, he turned the water into wine. I'll tell you what, we'll drink wine if you'll eat pork. Mm. Not happened yet. Mm. Mm. That's why I know he's a Baptist Muslim. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, you know how to uh, keep the Baptists on the fishing trip from drinking all your beer, right? I do. Let's see if you know. <laughs> you invite oh, two. The joke. You, you invite <laughs> two. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so, Bob, I, I love that. And I love uh, Imam Majid. Uh, I've been honored to, to be with, with the both of you. And uh, so much of what you've, you've done uh, over the years, uh, but specifically probably in the last 10 to 15, uh, a lot of people will see and not quite understanding all, all that has influenced you to, to take the approach to ministry the way that you have. But it really was because you were a local church pastor. I mean, you were invested in a local church. 
you were growing your church in Northwood, which I, I was honored to be on staff with you for three years. Uh, and so it was really about Jesus. It's really about seeing people come to know Jesus. Uh, but that has taken you in a direction that maybe many people can't, they can't make the connection. I know in some ways, GlocalNet has served as a bridge between what you do locally and then also globally. Can you talk a little bit about GlocalNet, how they got started, uh, and really the relationship with the local church and how that's connected with what you're, what you're doing around the world? Sure. Back in the early 2000s, there really weren't many church planning organizations. Uh, Bob Buford got a small group of us together and from that gathering came Acts 29, from that gathering came City to City, uh, from that gathering came GlocalNet. And what we all had in common, we had all started churches out of our church, and Bob was, was curious, how could I pour gas on what these guys are doing? So initially, when we started GlocalNet, all it did was start churches. Uh, the difference even back then I had was I wanted to be a missionary. And so it impacted how we did church planting. So I would always frustrate Bob and the guys at Leadership Network, though I love them deeply. I'd frustrate them because I, I never bought into this thing that, of local and global. It's just, you know, and, and, it's, and I get tired of this stuff. Oh, why are we going to go reach the world when so many people going to hell around here? Never heard Jesus say anything like that or the apostles. Then I got tired of all these guys that talk about the either or. It's both and. And so... That's how we got from just starting American churches to what we do. So basically, GlocalNet does four things. We like to say our, our tagline, so to speak, is teaching guys how to plant churches in the public square. That's the big deal for us. So how do we do that? So number one, uh, we, we focus on, on starting a church. We have a whole process. You know about it, KDSC. Number two, uh, we teach guys how to engage cities and nations so I'm not real big and let's go in and start a lot of churches. I want to go in and let's love Jesus with everyday disciples serving in the infrastructures of society. And then the third thing that we do is multi-faith and, and how do we relate to people of other faiths? Think about it. The early church didn't grow because of backslidden Baptists and Methodists. People mm -hmm. had other religions and they were following Jesus. And most of them were pretty excited about their religion. So why did they leave it to follow Jesus? What was that gospel? How do we communicate in that sort of way? And you look at Paul, and he's doing it at Mars Hill. He's doing it at synagogues all over the place. So how does he do that? And so I'm trying to help guys understand. I don't like what we've done with other religions. We've basically focused on apologetics where we go head to head. I'm right. You're wrong. You're going to hell. Listen to me. Listen to my argument. Wasn't that great? And all the Christians go, yada, 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 and everybody else just listens in. And so for me, what I'm concerned about is, how do you become friends with people that don't know Jesus? How do you live your life with them? And then the fourth thing that we do is something called uh, Global Collaborative Community. And you'd be interested to know, we're now taking our sons to that. So there's about 15 of us pastors. We all had pretty significant uh, church planting networks. Ours was the smallest here in the States. These guys have millions in their networks. And so we learn from one another. Uh, there's only two guys from the States. The rest are from China, India, uh, Indonesia, uh, Nigeria, and go down the list, all the countries. I don't do it right now. But we learn from one another and we collaborate. So what I try to do is to take those four things and to execute in a very strategic manner. Mm -hmm. And so when we teach a guy to plant a church, he's going to go with me around the world. He's going to connect with the imam in his community and be a part of a retreat. 
He's going to work with the poorest of the poor in the inner city. And the whole time he's doing that stuff, I don't say, read all this stuff, then you're going to go with me. I'm going, you're going with me and you're going to read as you're going. Because I want people to wrestle with what they're reading and what they're experiencing. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's so good. And, and Bob, I know that you recently launched a podcast, Bold is Love as well, which I just love the first episode that you all released. And, but a part of that is you've been modeling, and you just said this on the tail end of that uh, answer, is that you've been modeling for younger pastors how to practically build relationships with leaders of other religious communities. For some people, I think in some ways, you know, they see that as the opportunity for evangelism, but the more I've hung around with you, I, and I know you're evangelist at heart. I mean, I've seen you, I've seen you share the gospel, but a part of it is that you just, you just have genuine relationships with people of different faiths. Uh, sometimes people of no faith. And um, what advice, I mean, speak to local church pastors, you know, the exponential crew. So speak to the exponential crowd in terms of what does it look like to build practical relationships with those who lead other kinds of religious communities? Uh, you hold the ace of spades. If you're listening to this podcast, you're a Christian. You're in the majority faith. You have a better than average chance. Uh, I know you're, you're younger guys, and you probably don't like the word evangelical, but most of your theology would line up with more of a perhaps evangelical bent to it. And so, you influence the conversation on religion in America more than anybody else. You're also the person Muslims are most afraid of, that Jews want your blessing but are very confused by you because, like it or not, guys, uh, KKK and extreme groups, uh, chances are if they are in a Christian group, it's going to be an evangelical group. Not saying the evangelical group approves of it, but that's just the way it is. And so they would like to understand you, but they're afraid of you. And, and you're in the majority. So here, here's what I would say to you. I would say, look around the church that you pastor or you're going to plant and make it a point to go by and meet the imam. Now, you may wind up meeting the board chair. You know how that works, Daniel, because a lot of times it's not the imam as much as it is, it is the chairman of the mosque. But just say, hey, I'm Bob Roberts, and I'm the local pastor, and I won't tell you about Jesus. And they'll go, great, I believe in him too. And just go eat with them. Go to some Middle Eastern restaurant and just get to know him as a human being. I think we want to convert people. I think we need to be converted. I want to do, if I ever write a book about what I've done, I want to call it The Six Conversions of Bob Roberts. And the first one is how I was converted to friendship. I had to change my whole view. Here's a guy who wants to be a missionary. And I wanted to see people converted, but I didn't have time for it to be your friend because I got to go convert the next person. Mm. And I remember working with the moms because I had to in Afghanistan. And then I realized they wanted to be my friend. And I'm going, well, how do you be a friend with Muslims? I'm friends with tons of Muslims. I mean, you've met, you've been with me with Hamza Yusuf. He calls me up all the time, needling me, picking on me. He's, he knows more about Catholic theology and evangelicals than most evangelicals do. You know, a surfer boy who became a Muslim when he was 16, he's now my age, 62. Uh, so, I, I mean, become friends with them. Uh, th that's the simplest thing. Or if it's a Hindu or Buddhist, it doesn't matter. And, and let them ask you questions. And they don't want to hear, you know, four spiritual laws or the Roman road. Just talk about Jesus and what he's done in your life and listen to him. Let your wives get to know one another. I mean, my kids, my grandkids, 
We're all friends with Muslims. It's a part of our life and our faith. I mean, I'm friends with all these rabbis. They helped me preach my sermon yesterday <laughs> because I was repent- uh, preaching on repentance. And do you realize that yesterday and even today is Yom Kippur? That's right. Hey, you may not know this, Daniel. I didn't. Did you know Yom Kippur was not about sins that I have committed? That's what Rosh Hashanah is, all right, in the 40 days before that. Yom Kippur is 10 days of sins that we have committed. Mm -hmm. Dude, that's my roots. Mm -hmm. I got up and I was preaching yesterday and saying, this is what it means. And we're going to disagree. Imagine calls me up all the time. I can't get him to always answer my text. So what I'll do, I'll show him, send him some of the, who's the fat guy who used to be on Saturday Night Live who dressed? It's Farley. It's Farley. Yeah, yeah. So I'm always sending him texts of him and the dirty dancing guy doing dancing gifts. gifts of that. <laughs> uh, I know exactly like, what you're talking like, about. Like, Brother, yeah. don't send these to me. I was somewhere and all these imams were looking over my shoulder. So oh, that's hilarious. Have fun with, his daughters have been sending me Muslim music to listen to. I started sending them Christian music. I mean, why can't we see people as human beings? Okay, can I give you, you didn't ask me, can I give you some theology, Daniel? Go for it. Go for You're it. much smarter than me. Oh, come on, Bob. All right, no, no, but it's true. But here's, what, here's what's crazy. I used to see people as sinners. Why? What's the first thing the Bible says about somebody? It says that they're created in the image of God. Do you realize what it would do to your evangelism if everybody you looked at, you didn't see him as you're a sinner or you're going to hell? What if you saw him as that is a sacred human being created in the image of God that God foreknew that he loves? And I want to get to know that sacred person. It changes your evangelism, right? Now, do we sin? Yeah. But, but if you want to get to know someone, look for the image of God. I, I was speaking not long ago to a Muslim ga- gathering of thousands of Muslims. And I said, do you know what I see when I see you guys? I don't see Muslims. I see thousands of you created in the image of God. I honor you. I bow before you and I respect the image of God that exists inside of you. Now I want to tell you about this Jesus guy <laughs> and why you don't have to follow him, but I'm still going to love you. So I, I don't know. I think just build a relationship, see people as created in the image of God and just have fun with it. That's really good. Thanks, Bob. Sounds like you're saying crazy stuff, like we should actually approach people like Jesus, but you know, whatever. So, um, hey, real quick, guys, if you have questions for Bob um, in in the chat, it's not often that um, you get to hear someone talking about this kind of stuff where they're in the trenches and they're doing it. And a lot of the, the work that Bob's doing here is work that um, – People have fears about, you know, like, oh, is that going to open up to compromise? Is that going to, um, am I going to start becoming wishy-washy in my theology? Bob, I want to go off road for a second, veer off from some of the questions and just speak into maybe some of the fears and concerns that you've seen from leaders that keeps them from actually engaging like this. Because I know you're getting pushback all the time, friendly fire, so to speak. Yeah, I would say the first thing is you talked about loving like Jesus. You have not loved like Jesus until you love people that your tribe is afraid of. Wow. I mean, I'm I'm just telling you. That's a tweetable tweet right there. Yeah, but then when you love 
somebody that your tribe is afraid of, it's, it, it's not just going to change them, it changes you. I remember I was in Saudi Arabia, and I'm friends with one of the leading princes of the country. And the news media followed me around for several days. And the final day, uh, I was friends with the top, or I was with the top Muslim leaders and clerics and so forth. And I had this reporter ask me, he said, so Bob, what do you think of Islam now? What, is it, what, is, what has it done to you? And I said, it's made me a better Christian. And that's not the answer they wanted to hear in Riyadh. So what do you mean? I said, well, it, it, every time I'm around Muslims, the ones that I'm around, I love. And they're kind people and they're loving people and they're godly people. And so when they ask me a hard question about what I believe, I'm going deep. Did you know most of our theology was developed by heretics and people outside of our faith? And so we had to think, well, 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 what do I believe about that? That's how we got our Bible. I mean, y'all know the story of Marcion and the canon. Mm. And, and do you know why I know all that? Not because I took it at seminary, but I've had so many Muslims ask me, now, how did you get the Bible? You had all these people writing the Bible. So here, here's what, what I'm tired of. I'm tired of lazy preachers, lazy in their ability to work and lazy in their ability to think. The gospel is no place for mentally lazy people. I'm of average intelligence, but I realize I've got to give good answers to the Muslims and the Jews and the atheists. So I've got to think about what is the Trinity? Why do I believe in that? So, so I would say, you know, Peyton, the best thing that you can do when you start getting the pushback is, is, is realize internally Jesus has called me to love these people. Love God, love your neighbor, even love your enemies. Who's left out? Everybody's in the game. So, um, and Jesus said this, you know, you, you want to be different, love your enemies. I mean, everybody loves people who likes them. So I, I think, first of all, you're going to have to be committed to the ways of Jesus. And you're going to have to be willing. Here's the next thing. You're going to have to be willing to have a lot of people not like you and be misunderstood. Here's the way I feel about it. There's a lot of evangelicals love evangelicals. There are very few evangelicals that are close friends with Muslims. God doesn't need any more evangelicals who are worried about having a good impression with their own tribe. He needs a lot of them that are willing to love Muslims, Jews, gay people, and women. So, I mean, my view is love them. Love them. So how do you handle it when people trash you? Number one, ignore it. It's not worth your effort. It's just not worth your effort. Uh, no matter what you say, they're going to come back with something else. Uh, number two, uh, don't let them affect what you should be saying in public. Because a lot of times you, you, you want to shut up because I just don't want to take any more hits. But go ahead and say it. And, and the third thing I would say that, that's very important is there are some times that it's important to confront. It made me real sad. Everybody's griping about religious persecution during COVID and the government's destroying us. That's a bunch of bunk. I don't believe that. It's just corny. You want to know what religious freedom is? Go with me to some of the places I'm at where people are in prison waiting to get their head cut off. You want to talk about religious freedom? Go. I mean, we're talking about health issues right now. And, and, and it ticked me off. This one pastor said, dang, if I was a moss, they'd let me meet. Why did he have to do that? Why did he have to do that? Why did he have to bring a mosque into it? That's trashy. 
you know, don't you know that helped those Christians in Mobile, Alabama, love those Muslims all the more that live there? If, if we can't love them here, let's stop funding missionaries to go to the Middle East. We're hypocritical in what we're saying and what we're teaching. So I think you've got to get tough hide. You know, I, Paul didn't talk about, he talked about the breastplate. He didn't talk about the butt plate. And I think when you start crossing over the bridge, <laughs> you better have a good butt plate because you're going to get so much enemy fire. And I'm being good, Daniel. I know you work with Am. I'd say something else if I wasn't on that. Those errors are coming. You know, we expect all the errors coming in front of us. Yeah, I love this guy, Daniel. I'm so happy you got him on. <laughs> butt plate. But here's you're right. It, it comes from behind too. But but here's what it does. You know what I'm doing now? I meet with kings and I meet with sheikhs and I meet with all these people. Now, granted, most people don't want to meet with them. They're scared of them. But they know, not because I told them, but because of social media and other things, they know the price that I've paid for their religious freedom for Muslims and Jews and others in America. And it's opened massive doors for the gospel. Yeah. Bob, what would you say, <clears throat> given the current state of evangelicalism, specifically in America, what... Uh, speak to that. I mean, I, I you know, I, I know we're in an election, uh, but it's not just about the politics, but there seems to be uh, a, a fraying, uh, you know, on the edges of evangelicalism. Some see it as a good thing. I mean, what are your thoughts about it? I think, first of all, Dan, I think the gospel is true and people are going to keep following Jesus. And I don't care if young people want to drop the use of the word evangelical or not. I get it there will be something else that will ultimately qualify it. Probably you and Stetzer will come up with some new word we'll all use. I think the idea is, do you believe there? And, and for me, Bebbington and all that, there's all kind of stuff. For me, there's basically three things that are critical for evangelical for me. Number one, the authority of the scriptures. Uh, number two, uh, the Trinity. And we could get in the person and work of Jesus, human divine. And the third thing is loving people with the, with, with, with the gospel. Those are the three things that matter to me. Uh, but I, I, having said that, I think we're in a mess. And, and what really upsets me is my generation has screwed it up for your generation. And I'm sorry to say, Daniel, there's still some people, your generation, that are just as hot and heavy in this as my generation. But they've become like the sons of... Uh, you know, what, what does it say about the Pharisees? You become twice the sons of hell. Some of them have spiritual fathers that are very tribal. And, and I think evangelicalism actually gets in the way of the global explosion of the gospel and definitely the American explosion of the gospel. I really respect Ed Stetzer and what he's talked about, about be careful what you say in your pulpit, because some of these are the very people you try to reach. And if you make it about here's my political party, and if you're a Christian, you vote this way, you've just cut the legs out from other, under the people that, that need the gospel. Furthermore, here's what I believe. We were never called to be concentrate, but disperse light. So don't be orange juice, be light. And so I believe Jesus actually wants Christian, evangelical, Republicans, and Democrats. I mean, why? Yeah, I disagree with the party. I disagree with 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 Democrats for not caring about life before it's born. 
you know, and, and, and the loss of millions of life every year. And I disagree with the Republicans and their sense of responsibility for refugees. So that there's 81 million people living in tents around the world. There's little kids drowning in the Mediterranean. We're responsible for those lives too. I think we each pick our side based on life that's hidden from us that we don't see. So, so I think we have to be extremely, number one, we, 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 have to, we have to get to a point to where we don't Christianize either party, and we don't let either party Christianize us, or we wind up being pundits instead of prophets. So I think the challenge is I have my views politically, passionate, and I'll talk to you privately, offline, but even then, I'm, I'm not interested in people knowing my views other than I love Jesus because I want the whole world to hear about Jesus. And one of the reasons why I've been able to do what I do and work with administrations all the way back since Clinton is because I'm apolitical. And I want to be apolitical. And if you want to reach lost people, not just backslidden Baptist and Methodist, you've got to stay apolitical. Yeah. That's really good. And, and part of it, I think, is, uh, I mean, you, you've seen different parts of the world. I mean, you've seen different uh, areas uh, that have been governed in different political ways. And so, um, Bob, I mean, how is that, how is paying attention to what's happening around the world, how does that affect the way that we should lead locally in our churches? And again, most of our listeners today are local church pastors, and they, they love the, you know, 200 to 300 people that are in their church. Uh, but you almost can't afford to just, you know, be tunnel vision into what's in front of you. I mean, what do you learn around the world that you think is helpful to local church pastors these days? Okay, let, let's talk. Let's divide that. Help me remember, because you're asking me off the cuff, two questions. First, geopolitically. Mm -hmm. And and second, uh, ministry wise. Mm -hmm. So geopolitically, how many of you want to see Arabs come to faith in Christ? I do. Probably everybody does. Uh, Who do you think is the best job of doing that? White people like you or me or or you're Asian American. I'm sorry, Daniel. I don't know if you think of yourself as white or or, or whatever. (laughs) Okay. All right. So there you have it. So, so here's the question. What, who do you think is best at reaching them? Arabs. What Arabs do you think are called Palestinians or more Palestinian evangelicals than you can imagine? And so when America gets all excited and amen, you know, we're going to, you know, just God bless Israel. I love Israel. I support Israel. Why can't I also support Palestinians? I happened to be there the night that President Trump announced the capital was moved to Jerusalem. Guess who I was there with, Daniel? Evangelical. Palestinians. Mm-hmm. You know what their response was? I, I was watching all these big-time American pastors tweet, this is wonderful. We're so excited. Praise the Lord, Israel. Jews, look what we've done for you. Do you have any idea what that was doing? Their tweets, their celebration, what statement it was making to Palestinian evangelicals that are staying in the West Bank, that have a hard time because they're evangelicals, and they're saying, to the, the Muslims are saying to them, this is what you are? This is what you believe? Right. No clue. Think about Iran. Everybody's scared of Iran. I am too sometimes. But did you know the fastest growing church in the world right now is Iran? Yep. It's not a secret anymore. We can talk about it publicly. Enough of them are going to jail. A lot of us are trying to help with that. Yep. 
So let's bomb Iran, right? Boy, let's just tell them, don't mess with us, Iran. We're fixing to, we Christians, evangelicals, we got to stand against Iran because they're going to go against Israel. Great. And so let's blow up Iran and let's lose a million evangelicals. We, we don't have a clue the way the world operates. We see it through the eyes of Americana. And, and I love my country. My ancestors died in all the right wars. And we won all of them except for one, and we needed to lose that one. You know which one it was. But I love my country. I'm very patriotic. After 9-11, I tried to be a chaplain. They told me I was too old. Don't tell me I don't love my country. Yeah. But I'm part of the kingdom. So that's the first thing. And, and I know probably I'm freaking a lot of people out. You don't hear a white dude talking that much, let alone a Christian period. But how they see the world, how evangelicals around the world see the Palestinians is, and I just use that as one example. I could use about 20. is very different from how we see it. So let's talk missionally. Can I, can I before you um, move on to that, can I just say thank you? Because I married into a Palestinian family. Oh, wow. Um, so my wife is half Palestinian. Her her mother's full, and her grandma lived in Jerusalem, immigrated over here. Everything you're saying has been something that she has struggled with in evangelical churches her entire life, and the latent racism, which is what comes out. It's okay in America to still be racist against Arabs in the church, like vocally so because of Israel. And we don't hear it called out enough, but it's out and out racism and bigotry. And, you know, so I want to thank you for speaking out on that because, you know, we don't know what's going on in other parts of the world. And I'll tell you this, though, when you live in Britain, the focus is shifted. It's not like it's the opposite. People there are saying, well, look at what we're doing to the Palestinians. And their heart is for that. They they, they still love Israel, but there's more of a social conscience awakened in the British even. And it's shifting church. in America too right now, especially the younger. And I don't see any young evangelicals wanting to not support Israel. What they're saying is, right. why do, what is this false dichotomy of pick and choose? Do you know who helped right. me with that, guys? Jonathan Sachs, greatest Jewish leader in the world today. I just read his brand new book, highly mm. recommended to your morality. And I love that man. And I'll never forget, um, I took him and Sheikh bin Bayad to the National Prayer Breakfast. And of the five main gatherings, we spoke at three of them. And we talked about peace, one session, religious freedom, another session. And uh, uh, I can't remember the third. But anyhow, we talked about three things. And I remember Sachs, I tried to intervene for him. Somebody asked him, an evangelical said, what about the Palestinians? What are we going to do about it? Is this a problem? This is Jonathan Sachs. What is his response? So, you know, he, he's orthodox, one of the greatest theological Jewish minds ever. Here's his response. Jews never had all the land anyhow. The question of God blessing Israel had not, nothing to do with how much of the land they had, but how did they follow God in the amount of land that they did have? Boy, let that sink in. And most evangelical, you want to talk about how our theology and geopolitics is uninformed? If we're going to follow the biblical lines of Israel, then to parts of Egypt, so long, parts of Saudi Arabia, so long, Lebanon, so long, Syria, so long, Iraq, so long, we're going to have to wait, Jordan, so long, 
There's 10 Middle Eastern countries that are going to have to have their, barrier, their uh, boundaries redrawn. So, yeah. That's just one geopolitical issue I'm involved in. See, we have a lot to say about those things. And when we do that, if you talk to the missionaries on the ground, they're, they're freaking out. They're going, oh, Bob, can you do something? Americans don't understand. See, it used to, we could send missionaries over there and it didn't matter. Guys, our world is connected now. It, it, we do more to undermine the Great Commission by our uninformed opinions than anything else we could do. Don't get me started on this. Let's get back to missions. I, 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 get, I go crazy over this because I have to deal with it. Here's but but it's, it's, it's really connected though, Bob. And yes. I'd love for you to talk about how you, as a local church pastor, have, have rethought missions in light of those geopolitical Ooh. issues. Because you, you worked in a communist country that for years people thought was closed, and yet you found, you found a way to work in it legally. So can you talk about that? Yeah, there, there are no closed countries. There's only intelligent engagement and stupid engagement. And most of our engagement is stupid. We, we, we go in like we're high-ho Christians. We're going to do it. And I was one of them. That's how I approached Vietnam. I'm going to sneak in and I'm going to undermine you so that I can spread the gospel. Guys, you don't have to lie about who you are. If you do, you've screwed it up to begin with. Here's what you need to do. You need to learn to live in the public square. So I get communist countries all the time that now ask our church to adopt them. My challenge is I've got invitations right now. One of the, one of the worst persecuted countries in the world where missionaries have been kicked out. What do you think it is? Uzbekistan. That's where I'm going now. I could take churches with me tomorrow to go to Uzbekistan, evangelical churches, but I can't because most of them are going to want to push the religion instead of love people in the name of Jesus. And it screws everything up. So, so, let me come back. I want to answer one question, Daniel, and, and we won't camp out. Bring me back around to this question, okay? Don't let me go too far. And interrupt me if I start talking too long, all right? But I would say, missionally, here's what's going on in the world. Basics and simplicity. Basics and simplicity. I'm, I'm just telling you, COVID has shut everybody down, but it has not shut down the global church because it's always been about small groups, always. Now, we call them church planning movements or disciple-making movements, or, and those are all nice things, but I'm just telling you, it always spread through relationships in small groups. And the second thing is ministry, just serving people right around you in the name of Jesus. And, and so I would say small groups, serving people, and just core spiritual disciplines. We've made it too complicated. The, the gospel is not complicated when it spreads. It's simple. And it's got to stay that way. So, so we could talk about that all day. But those are the three key things I'm learning from the global church, things that are working. I don't care if you call them cell groups, house churches, small groups, Sunday school classes, call them what you want. But that's where church really is done. And that's not an option. It's a necessity. Uh, and, and we're seeing that. We're seeing that. Small groups, community engagement, and basic discipleship, disciplines. And, and so, so now let's go back to your question about engaging the world through the gospel. I think one of the things I would say is always go through the front door. Don't lie about who you are, but, but serve. I remember when I went to Vietnam and started working 25 years ago. Uh, and it's funny, Daniel, I don't know if you know this or not, but a couple of years ago, they gave us the Friendship Medal. 
there's just not a lot of evangelical churches I can brag about getting a commie medal. It's the top medal that you can get in a communist country for serving. But we've been there 25 years. Oh, you know what we're trying to do now, Daniel? I want to buy this hotel. Right now, Juan Kim is shut down. So pray the government will give I've come up with a crazy wow. idea. Yeah. Got a basis all there. I don't know I can pull it off. If there's some yeah. rich person listening, would you send me $1.3 million <laughs> and help us out? But well, what, what Bob's talking about, just so viewers or the listeners know, Wong Kim Lake is, uh, is a prominent, it's almost kind of like the, uh, you know, the center of downtown uh, Hanoi, Vietnam. And that's where a lot of the touristy areas are. And uh, yeah, yeah. So having some uh, property there would be very interesting. Yeah. So we had, what happened was we had a top leader in the Vietnamese government as an exchange student, no thanks to us, uh, became a follower of Jesus. And I went over to get permission from their dad to baptize him. And uh, I was very nervous about it. Didn't know if I was going to jail. Everybody was praying for me. It's the first time I ever dealt with high level geopolitical type people. And not only did they give me permission, uh, they explained to me why they were afraid of American Christianity. And they gave me a crash course in history how for a thousand years, the Chinese rural Vietnam, 250 years, the French, and why they didn't want Americans in Vietnam because of that. And it's, this is true. And how that many of evangelicals and American missionaries would work with the CIA and with the government. And so now I've become friends and they start saying we need help with schools. So we start mobilizing school teachers to go. They needed help with medicine. So we started mobilizing doctors and nurses. And we've mobilized over 3,000 people doing 165 projects, millions of dollars. And so then Vietnam wants to get off the uh, country of particular concern list of one of the worst places in the world that persecutes Christians. So they asked me to be a part of an American delegation. So when the Americans asked me, I said, no, because I want to work with Vietnam. I don't go there because I agree with their human rights record. You know all this, Daniel. So, you know, finally... I found that out. The government said, please do it, Bob. We're afraid of evangelicals will get, keep us on that list and don't understand. So we wind up working there in Vietnam. And so I, I, there are no closed countries that they, they, they will help you. I go to all the places you're not supposed to be getting get into. And I go as a Baptist pastor from Texas. I don't hide it. I, I just serve people. And I naturally talk about faith. So I don't do, furthermore, I don't want to do church planting in Vietnam. Vietnam. Who do you think does the best job of starting a church in Vietnam? White people like me or Vietnamese people? Vietnamese people. Yeah. And, and we don't understand sometimes how we work around the world. It's very colonialistic. We white people are going to show up and tell you how to do it. Yep. Did you know that the church planting movement started before white people went there? Did you know that, Daniel? But we white people went there, figured it out, came back, wrote books about it, boxed it, and sold it back to them and used that to fund American missionaries to go back and forth. Now, the technology was true. It's just we really didn't come up with it. We take credit yep. for it. Yep. They did it. They did it. And that's how we don't mean to, but we unintentionally don't respect the global church. Yep. Wow, what would it look like? I had a big-time evangelist reach out, wanted me to help him go to Vietnam and do an event. And, I, and, and he, he called and he said, well, would you do it? And I said, why do you want to do it there? He said, I want to see the gospel spread. I said, fantastic. 
I know of 10 young Vietnamese that are phenomenal evangelists. Instead of spending millions on your one event, let's take that millions, let's train them, let's let them do all their events. We'll figure out how to work it through the government where the government blesses it. And then come and you do one after all that. You wouldn't do it. Of course not. That money never went. We all know how that story ended, right? Nothing, nothing went over there. Bob, you're fire, man. This is, this is awesome. I'm, I'm enjoying this. It's fun. You just can't expect to be blessed by the American church. You got to be yeah. okay with that. Your influence comes outside the church, not within it. But you got to be, when you really go global and you, when you really love non-Christians and when you really love everybody, regardless of their race, it's going to get you in trouble. It's so good yeah. for the gospel. But, you know, Paul, Paul kind of got in the right kind of trouble, right? And, I mean, you mentioned about being liked or being used, and it's often a choice. And I see, you know, Paul going to Peter and going, I don't want to be liked right now. We need to be used. And, Peter, you're screwing it up. And, I, and I'm seeing that in you, Bob. I, I, I don't know you, but I, I'm sensing like an apostolic kind of punk rockness Maybe. to you that I'm digging. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> my, my inner punk recognizes and bows to your inner punk. But um, I want to ask you, because we, we deal with a lot of church planners and, um, you know, obviously this generation coming up, I mean, like most younger generations, they're looking at our generation going, you guys screwed it up. So if, if we're talking to a new leader who's saying, hey, I really want I want to have that Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, which you've covered all of these so far. And I want to do the ends of the earth. Um, how do I, because I love that name, Glocal. How do I, as a local church, get globally involved in a way that matters and in a way that's effective? That's a good question. Uh, I'd say this to you, first of all. I can't think of a better time to start a church. It is so screwed up. It has fell apart. You can do any dang thing you want to. I mean, this, I, can I just be honest with you? I want to start another church. I want to go to Washington, D.C., and I want to start a church. And, and I love Bethel, but I don't want to use Bethel music. I want to do it for non-Christians. I, I don't want to use Hillsong. I want to go start a church for non-Christians uh, that's not centered on a worship service. I don't even want to have a worship service, maybe once a month. And maybe then we'll have a zither to come and have it played and somebody talk about how they found Jesus who plays the zither. I, I, people are so open to the gospel, it is incredible right now. But our current forms of doing church, they're good, and I like a lot about them. They're just not going to get us where we need to be. So here's what I would say if you want to do that. Number one, focus on relationships. Go in and get to know people that don't know Jesus. Number two, get a job. Nothing wrong with earning a living. You know, a lot of people have done it. Paul was a tent maker. Uh, I'm, I'm, my church helps fund me, but there's other funding that's taking that funding over, uh, and I'm excited about that, and it's humanitarian work that I'm involved in. Find a job that you're good at that you can earn a living. And then let them design the church. Don't, don't, don't let preachers design churches. Don't let some guy who's got a book trying to sell his book design churches. Let lost people. What do you mean let lost people design them? Okay, you love Jesus. You know what matters. 
Well, let it be expressive. I saw this in Cambodia when all these uh, Cambodians were coming to faith in Christ, and they had a Cambodian service that was similar to their culture. And I remember some of the missionaries, this was 30 years ago, 35 years ago, getting upset with them that, well, that's Cambodian dance. That has nothing to do with It's fine. Leave them alone. A lot of what we do is Christmas Day is a pagan celebration. Easter is a pagan celebration. Get over it. Let them dress funky and dance wild. There's nothing wrong with it. So I would say let people design the church. The church has always been designing itself throughout history. There's, that's nothing new. Here's what the challenge is. There are people who get used to the way. So, so those guys that are going to design a new, exciting church, and it's not going to be a one-pager, mission, vision, values. It's going to be more organic than that. When it does design, guess what happens? It's going to grow, and everybody's going to start copying it, and it's going to be institutionalized, and people are start, going to start banging on that thing. The challenge for the new church is always breaking out of the affirmation of what was. But the affirmation of what was should be the gospel, not the form, okay? Here's the next thing I would say. As it takes on the character of that, who are those internationals that are near that church? Is it Nepalese? Work in Nepal. Is it Syrians? Work with refugees in Syria. Let your context determine where you work. And then just find out what's the number one thing you can do to serve those people. So if it's a refugee camp, if it's a medical thing, if it's a, it doesn't matter. Just what, if it's a teaching thing, most churches have school teachers, start serving them. And do you know what happens? Missions is a discipling tool. People will, let's say we're going to go to Syria and we're going to, or we're going to go to Jordan and work in a Syrian refugee camp and we're going to do education project for the little kids. They're going to come back home and they're going to do those education projects here. What I tell people is focus on one spot. Listen, the churches that do the best over the seas aren't big mega churches. They fund projects. It's little churches of 100 to 300 that everybody gets infected for Syrian refugees, and that is your mission program. And you start serving, and you start with one project, but it grows to multiple projects and more people and multiple projects. And here's what happens. You get to be close friends with non-Christians. And then do you know what's going to happen? You're going to become more at ease with those non-Christians back home. You know what we did this year at our local net family gathering? Daniel couldn't come. We tried to get him to come. You know what we did at our family gathering this year? I don't know if you know about this, Daniel. Majid came and one, was one of the keynote speakers at our family mm-hmm. gathering. He's the imam. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everybody starts crying. You know what I did, Majid? Could we lay hands on you and pray for you? So I've got this picture. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't put it out on, I don't think it is on the internet, but it's all these Christians sobbing, laying hands, and Majid is sobbing. Wow. You know what Majid is doing? He's teaching us how to talk to Muslims. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about, he, he, he came and he said, we need you. We know you're evangelicals, but we need, Majid wants to fund me starting a church down the road from him. <laughs> in Washington, D.C. And I want to do it. <laughs> I may do it. I've not heard of many people in their 60s starting a church, but I honestly sometimes think about doing it for that one reason. And guess what Majid and I do? We go around the world dealing with religious freedom. Okay, you want to see how it all works? So we start Global Net 92 to start churches. We begin to work in Vietnam. 
that begins to grow. We go through the domains. The domains expose us to Afghanistan because they want us to do the same thing. So now we're doing this Muslim, working with communists, Buddhists, taking guys around the world to start churches to do this. So guess what Majid and I are most excited about right now? Because we learned to do the retreats. So Daniel, you were with us at our first retreat that we did both in Qatar with the Pakistanis mm-hmm. and in Dallas. All right. So we do the retreat last November in Uzbekistan because they want to get off that bad list of the State Department. So we go there and the imams are freaking out that there's this imam that's close friends of mine and they're watching us laugh at one another. Okay. The pastors are freaking out. <laughs> and, and they ask Majid, why are you such good friends with these evangelical pastors? They want to convert everybody. I said, but look, it's an open door now. We don't have that choice anymore. And Christians are not treating Muslims good in America, but Bob is making sure that we have our religious freedom. And I'm here to challenge you. Mm. And guess what happens? On the second night of the retreat, they take all the Christians out to eat. And the next morning, do you know what they did? They apologized to the evangelical pastors and said, we're sorry. We're the reason you haven't got permits for your buildings. We're the reasons you've not been able to get registered by the government. And they wind up all crying and hugging one another. And now we're getting newspaper articles of the imams that are making sure that Christian churches are getting registered Mm. in Uzbekistan. Somebody say amen. 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 When was the last time you heard about people from another religion in a, quote, close country, we can't work together, that are saying, I don't agree with your religion, but I love the fact you believe we're created in the image of God and we're sacred. So we're going to disagree, but we're going to fight for you for not being in jail anymore. Mm. Guys, the gospel comes full circle. We have yet begun to imagine. So, Daniel, you asked me the question I'm obsessed with. I want to write a book about this one day. Maybe we'll write it together because I'm no Ph.D. Got a doctor's demon from Fuller, but she got a Ph.D. Are you about to have it? But what does missions look like in the 21st century? You want me to give you some of it? Yeah, yeah, tell us. Number one, it's not to people, it's with people. So I'm going to do missions not with a bunch of Christians going as a team to evangelize people. I'm going to do missions right beside a Muslim beside me, a Jew beside me, a Hindu beside me. I'm going to live more with non-Christians than I do Christians. And they're going to see me live my faith, and I'm going to talk to them about my faith. So it's not something I do to people. It's something I do with people. It's not something that preaching is from a pulpit or from a traditional church context but it's in a community context where we're all talking about missions. Third, it's in the public square. So it has to do with what I'm doing with their foreign ministry, dealing with the human rights issue, dealing also with how I'm teaching Christians, how do you treat other people in this country and not letting them be influenced by Western evangelicals about what their views geopolitically ought to be. Those three things. Amen. Just those three things. Don't let me let you give my list of 21. Those three things would change the world. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I know that, you, I mean, the churches that you've been working with, the, the planters that you've been working with, I mean, their churches are, are radically different. It's kingdom oriented. And uh, Bob, I don't think 62 is too old to, to, to not plant a church. I mean, I think you should do it. <laughs> don't mess with me. Sometimes my wife and I. But I'll make sure, here's what I'll do. I'll find some young guy like you, and I'll give you everything I've got, pour into you, and and let you do a good job, and let me show up every two months, and 
and uh, just say hi to everybody. Yeah, That's success for me. Well, I, you know, we're winding down on time here. And about before we, we wrap up, Bob, I, I'd love for you to just uh, maybe give a word. Um, you know, you, you're in a new season of, of ministry. Uh, you're, not, you're not retiring, but you've, you've transitioned a lot of your local church ministry to uh, you know, our friend Scott Venable there, and he's, he's helping to lead the church now. Um, you, you talk a little bit about that transition. We've got about maybe two minutes left. And um, what's that afforded you to do? And how can, how can pastors who are leading right now uh, thinking about, you know, some of that transition, even in the midst of leading? And they may not be leaving for another 10, 15 years or so, but how do you lead with transition in mind? I think you use the Bible. That's a good starting point. Paul had Timothy and Titus and others, and we're not good at that. Uh, we have more of a tribal view of church than we do a family view of church. So I look at Scott not as, okay, can he preach? Can he do all that? I'm more concerned, is he a son? And he is. That matters to me. And does he love, you know, we're multi-ethnic. Does he care about the races? Yes. Uh, He's even better at that than I am. Does he get the world? Yes. Uh, Do I love him? Yes. Are our families connected? Yes. All those things matter. Uh, Does that mean it doesn't go without glitches? Not at all. But it does mean I can go to sleep at night and I know, hey, they may not do it exactly like I did it here or there. So what? As long as KDSC is there and the body is there, let go of it. So, you know, it's not, I'm going to be honest with you. uh, And I think if you'd ask him, you'd hear the same thing. We've not gone through all this traumatic stuff. And the truth of the matter is it started about three years ago. Came on our stuff four years ago, but there was a two-year period. Uh, he, I have his old office. He has my old office now. Of course, I did a better job of decorating it with art from the world. But, but if you can't be the missions pastor at Northwood, you can't be the senior pastor. Because the number one job of the senior pastor at Northwood is you are the missions pastor. So he did that for a couple of years, make sure that, you know, he could do that. And then, uh, you know, Then to be able to hand that off, it's been great. Here's what I would say the most important thing I'm doing right now is fathering, spiritually fathering. It's fun. Never wanted to do it because I viewed it as you're an old dude, you're out of the game. Uh, Not true. I'm busier today than I've ever been. And because of the weird life I have, though I may be old to start churches, I'm a young punk in terms with ambassadors and diplomat and world leaders. And so the whole world is open to me. I mean, I'm busier now than I've ever been in my life. And, you know, I'm just hanging out with non-Christians nonstop. So I'm in all these, I'll be in about COVID permitting. I'll be in about 20 countries this next year that supposedly Christians can't go, but we're there serving and doing uh, stuff. And, but I think two things, I think when you're apostolic, you should not define your church as your mission big mistake. I think you define Jesus as your mission. And church is merely the expression of how Jesus is working. Everybody's wanting to redefine church. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of time. Just as Scott says, live and love like Jesus. And when when you do that, it's going to take you to the radical edges. And when you do that, you're going to be busy because you're going to be going places Nobody else goes, meeting with people, doing different things. And when you do that, then you're always going to have these young guys and gals that you're pouring into. And that's going to be challenging in and of itself. That's what I'd say. 
It's really good, Bob. And uh, I know I want to thank Daniel first off for uh, for having uh, you on as one of his mentors and someone he's worked alongside. I can see uh, some of your fingerprints on him from this interview. I can hear some of the same heart and uh, it's really cool, man. So, uh, and on behalf of, you know, all of our uh, listeners in the chat and those that have been interacting, thank you so much for dropping this. We've gotten a lot of comments of people just going, boom, thank you, Bob, fire. So we want to thank you for uh, what you're saying is resonating. It's not the status quo. Uh, of where the church is at, but it's definitely, I think, a prophetic hearkening of where the church needs to be. So I want to thank you for that. And uh, for those of you that are here today and you're going, man, this is great. I want to um, continue to have enlivening discussions. We have been focusing on diversity issues at Exponential because in order to reach every tongue, tribe, and nation, as Bob has rightly pointed out, it will take every tongue, tribe, and nation. And so our theme this year at Exponential is together. And we've been, uh, particularly in North America, we've been um, addressing uh, some of the um, diversity issues and the disunity uh, that's been going on in our country. And we want to hear people um, who maybe don't normally have a voice. And so uh, join the roundtables. You can still do that till the end of the month. Uh, $29. Look at that. $29 for, a, for an event. And uh, you'll have uh, the better part of a day. You'll have three sessions. Uh, we want to bring exactly what Bob is saying with local, and that is having a local church context. We've canceled all of our regional conferences so that you can come together in your, at a church, a local church near you. Um, some of these leaders will be engaging and um, that you're seeing there on the picture. And like we said, it's $29 to register for that. If you can't attend it in person, you can sign up for one of the, the streamings of it. We encourage you to participate and uh, it's going to be amazing. So you can still do that $29 till the end of this month. And uh, anyways, want to thank again, Daniel and Bob for joining us today and you for tuning in. And we'll see you next week on Frontlines. Head on over one more time, multiplication.org. And we'll see you later. This fall, Exponential is hosting roundtable events in cities all across America. These half-day gatherings in smaller settings will allow church leaders to prioritize peer-to-peer conversations and receive practical training on how to prepare their church to lead for racial reconciliation. Exponential roundtables will help you continue to pursue church multiplication in these challenging times. Find a roundtable near you this fall by visiting multiplication.org.